It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome, everybody, to the Untold Story podcast. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Judge Janine Puro, co-host of The Five and extraordinary person and great friend. Janine, good morning. Great to have you with us. Oh, great to be with you, Martha. So obviously, you have been covering this Murdoch case extremely closely over the last few years since the murders happened on June 7th, 2021. And yesterday, we got a huge development in this case. And last week, uh, a series that I worked on called The Fall of the House of Murdoch dropped on Fox Nation. So a lot is going on in this case. Um, I did an interview with Buster Murdoch for that, which was pretty extraordinary to sit down with him and get his firsthand account. So let me start by asking you, what did you think? Explain what this um, what this clerk was doing and why now there's there's an opportunity for Alec Murdoch to potentially get an entirely new trial. You know, Martha, first of all, uh, your Fox Nation special is terrific. But let me say that there are very few things that could cause this case to be overturned. I watched the trial, as you indicated. It was a trial where there was damning evidence. You had a defendant who lied a defendant who had all kinds of motives, and it didn't seem that there would be anything that would cause this case to be reversed. The allegations made in this motion are stunning. The fact or the the allegation, uh, as sworn to by at least two jurors, that the clerk of the court interfered with their jury deliberations to the point where it can definitely be considered jury tampering, if true, will cause a retrial in this case. But let's go back for a second. When I would send a jury in to deliberate, I would tell them before they went in and after they came back out to the courtroom, you do not discuss this case with anyone. You do not discuss it with each other. And you report to the court immediately if anyone discusses the case with you. Now, I find it stunning that uh, for all the weeks that this trial went on, if this court clerk was indeed doing as some of the uh, uh, as the four person and another jury swore to uh, that it wasn't reported to the court. But put that aside. If the clerk said, don't be fooled by tearful testimony, uh, if she was having private conversations with the forewoman about the case, if she fabricated a story about a juror's ex-husband's uh, posting on Facebook to get that juror off the uh, off the jury, uh, and the allegation that it shouldn't take long, and by the way, you six smokers, you don't get a smoke uh, break unless you return a verdict here. I mean, this is basic, fundamental reversal of the jury trial. It is tampering with a jury. Now, you put that together with the circumstances. She was able to come out with a book very quickly after this verdict. And that is quite unusual. It's even unusual for a court clerk to write a book about a murder trial. So you Mm. put it all together and it is it is ugly. It is dirty and it will taint this conviction. It's really it's so shocking. And the thing that I keep coming back to, Janine, is just we haven't 
for the other side of this. I mean, you know, that they have two jurors, they say, okay. who swore in affidavits that she was influencing them this way. Now, right. in your experience as a judge, does that, I mean, where do you go from there? Is there any reason to think that these people were coerced by these attorneys? Or is there any reason to think that it's not what it looks like? Well, look, the first thing that's going to happen is there is sufficient basis here based, uh, based upon the sworn affidavits that a judge will order a hearing. There's got to be a hearing. This thing has to be aired out in court. Uh, and there's got it. There will be an investigation, whether it's an investigation conducted by the court or by the state's attorney. I don't know what the procedure is, but it, in uh, South Carolina, but make no mistake, there will be an investigation. As you say, Martha, there are two jurors uh, who who gave uh, sworn statements, but apparently there were sworn statements from three jurors that she said, watch him closely, look at his actions watch his movements. That is not something that any court clerk should be discussing with any juror. And in fact, as a judge, jurors would come back and say, Your Honor, how do we assess the credibility of a witness or a defendant? And that's when the judge goes into you, look at them, you know, you use your your normal common sense. Does it ring true? That court clerk, if these uh, sworn affidavits are true, that court clerk should be removed from office. But I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm assuming it's true. There's got to be an investigation. There will be a hearing. The hearing, if, it, if this is found to be the, the correct, will create the basis for a reversal of this trial. And we're going to start all over again. And the sad thing is, this case, there is sufficient evidence for a uh, conviction. And for this kind of dirtiness and this, this, um, this, this influence outside of the facts of the case, it just muddies it all up. And it creates a terrible image to the public as well. It, it makes me wonder about Judge Newman. And I, I thought it was interesting that Dick Harputlian and Jim Breckman were very careful in their news conference yesterday yes. to say that he they were not accusing him of any wrongdoing in this case. However, part of this uh, part of this statement that was put out yesterday says that with this Facebook issue and just to fill in the background a little bit. You know, they're they're claiming that she essentially had a juror removed because she saw something. The clerk, Becky Hill, saw something on Facebook that led her to believe that one of the jurors, ex-husband, had posted something saying that his ex-wife who was on the jury had already made up her mind. Then that right. post got pulled down. Then a person you know, in this new investigation, as these two defense attorneys looked into it, they say that they don't they're not sure this post ever existed. They think that the person who wrote it would just have the same name as the ex-husband. Right. And that juror says that she hadn't spoken to her ex-husband in 10 to 14 years. So if if she fabricated to remove a juror and of course, the defense believes that this is a juror who may have a Alec Murdoch's story and may have been the one juror not to have a unanimous verdict. What right. she can also face criminal liability, correct? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the first of all, apparently uh the the Facebook post allegedly posted by the juror's ex-husband that you so accurately say we're not even sure was this juror's ex-husband. 
Uh, and then we have to have a hearing on whether or not uh, they'll call that person. They will call that person, get to the bottom of that dismissed juror and, you know, what was said and what conversations were had. Because if the court clerk, and, and I'm putting my robe on right now, if the court clerk is alleging that her ex-husband posted something and that she's influenced by it, even though she wasn't a jury juror in the case, I would demand that that person be brought before the court for a hearing to determine whether that was the case or at the time of the trial itself, the judge should have called that a potent, that juror, potential juror, and say, if you had conversations with your ex-husband, unless it was a peremptory challenge, and I'm in the weeds here and I don't want to be, where you can dismiss someone for no reason. But I get the sense this was a challenge for cause. And if it was a challenge for cause, then what you've got is behavior, that, number one, has to be unearthed, and number two, creates the basis for criminal conduct. And number three, makes you ask, why didn't the judge figure this out himself at the time of the trial? Right. The Untold Story continues right after this. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Apparently, according to Griffin and Corpolian, um, Becky Hill said that SLED, the local law enforcement, went right. over and investigated this. And she came back to the judge and said, yes, SLED went over there. It's definitely the husband. I mean, it's it's really this story is just it never ends. The amazing twists in this Murdoch case. So let's flip over. Let's assume for a moment that there's a real problem here and that they have a hearing. And the judge says, you know, because of these issues, we're going to have to have another trial. Well, that's obviously a great day for Alec Murdoch. He was reportedly shaking. He was so overwhelmed when he heard this news about Becky Hill, the court clerk, and what she had been up to. So what would the timeline look like? What would be different in another trial? Would it still be in Hampton? Uh, in the Collin County Courthouse again? What do you think? Well, you know, Martha, you're so smart. Uh, To me, the biggest issue in this case was why there wasn't a change of venue. You know, the Murdochs had such a reputation, whether it was, you know, esteemed or whether it was a a, a family that was despised for its abuse of the the system. This case should not have been tried in that county. I'm sorry. I would have I would have agreed to a change of venue uh, as a prosecutor in the case to protect the verdict. I would have I would have joined in a change of venue motion on this case. There is too much of this Murdoch family that is intertwined in term in, in in the very essence of that county and especially in the justice system. So, um, you know, as you say, this case started in the beginning as an amazing, uh, unbelievable allegation story. And it continues to go on. This has, this has long, uh, this will have a lot long legs on this case. It will go on for a long time. And this court clerk, I mean, let's give her the benefit of the doubt, uh, which I find hard to, because I've run a lot of courtrooms and I wouldn't dare any clerk of mine to speak to a jury. I would dare them to. I would also dare any jury to not report to me that there was some conversations going on. I mean, I have that kind of a relationship with the jury. I would eyeball them. Did anybody talk? Did anybody talk to you? Did you, 
everybody. Uh, and that's why they, the Harpoolian and Griffin were so protective of the court because they're afraid they may go back to this judge. They're afraid right. that this may be making the decision himself. I'm not sure how it's going to work down there, but this is dirty. It's ugly. It's unnecessary. Uh, and uh, it's, it is fascinating. And that's a bad bottom line. <laughs> you know, and, you know, just to point out to people about this, this court, how cozy everyone is. I was reading uh, in Becky Hill's book that she wrote. She says, oh, no, everyone knows everyone in this town. My, I think she says my grandfather or my great-grandfather was actually a bootlegger with the, you know, oldest Buster Murdoch. And yep. it's clear when you watch her in the documentary on Fox Nation, and I didn't do the interview with her. That was done by one of the other producers from the documentary team. But it's clear that she's almost giddy about the, um, you know, sort of what has happened to the Murdoch name and how damaged in it. She says at one point, you know, this family will never recover from this damage that has been done to their name. So if if it goes to another court, what would what would a likely time frame be for another trial? How long do you think it would take, Judge? Well, you know, I don't know how long it would take, but I can't imagine what that this is. Uh, all right. We're in September. I can't imagine anything happening before January. I mean, it's not like they've got to redo, you know, discovery and all the other stuff. It's basically getting to the the facts, you know, putting those sworn jurors, uh, uh, th those jurors who gave the affidavits and the statements under oath, then taking it up on appeal. It, and it should be uh, an emergency appeal. Uh, because of, you know, the, the, the fact that you've got this guy is still in jail. Uh, and, but I can't imagine it's going to take more than maybe four or five months for it to start again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you say that she was almost giddy, this court clerk, this is the biggest thing that's ever happened to her. Okay. Mm -hmm. And she got to be the center of attention. She got to come out there and say to America, I was a part of this. I am special. I am important. And it's really sad because, I mean, to be an officer of the court, to be an elected official in our criminal justice system is an honor. It is a privilege. You take a sacred oath, you know, yeah. in that courtroom, in that pristine courtroom, nothing muddies it up. Nothing dirties it up. We are we are as, as honest and as clean as possible. And for her to muddy it up uh, is a real sad commentary on uh, how pathetic uh, her life was and how she tried to make herself the center of attention. And in doing so may create the basis for this guy, at least getting out for a time uh, and getting a new trial. Well, he faces, I think it's about 120, 130 counts, other charges on these financial fraud transactions. He has a very long litany of of issues that he will be facing, even if this is overturned in another in, in another right. trial, potentially. So Alec Murdoch has uh, an extraordinary amount of legal <laughs> jeopardy that he is coming towards him no matter what happens in this situation. Right. But it is extraordinary. You know, um, just one quick question about talking with Buster and what you're, you know, he obviously was a real sort of person of focus in that courtroom. He was there every single day. He took the stand on behalf of his father. And when I spoke to him, he's very reserved and he's been through obviously hell. Oh, yeah. And 
you know, a lot of people point fingers at him for various things as well, which is a whole other case, which he has never been accused of anything in. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll see what happens with all of that, because that's an ongoing investigation to Stephen Smith. But right. just the, the, the idea that his he still defends his father, even after his father lied to him repeatedly about where he was that night and all of it. Having been through so many cases, Judge, what's your assessment of that? You know, uh, as I as I would say um, to my prosecutors when I was a DA, you know, one of the things that you can count on in a case is that there's going to be one family member is going to stick with the defendant. And in Buster Murdoch, uh, has no one else in the world. He has literally lost everything. Right. He's lost families, lost money, he's lost everything. Uh, and so, you know, it's it's no surprise that, you know, he would try to hang on to the one thing that he has left, and that is his father. Um, you really don't want to skewer him. Uh, you have to almost expect that he, like maybe the mother providing an alibi for his son, uh, is going to do what a family member is going to do. And you almost don't look at them as you would other witnesses, more objective witnesses. Um, he's a sad, sad case. And and I agree with you. He's still, you know, there's still issues that he's got to face. And I think uh, as it relates to Stephen Smith, all the talk will at some point come down to an investigation where he'll have to, you know, muster up some strength to get through that as well. But um, he's got no choice, Martha. He has to be kind of stalwart. He has to support his dad. That's all he has. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it just, and we'll do in another podcast, we'll talk about Stephen Smith in the future, Judge. Yeah. Uh, but this is a story that has more to be told. And there's a lot that's in the interview that I did with Buster, where I talked to him about the Stephen Smith case that is not in the documentary. Uh, that, you know, we'll we'll see at another time because it was mostly focused on the murders. Yeah. But so we'll save that for next time. But I, I, I do appreciate your time this morning, Judge. I always love talking with you. It's always fascinating. And I look yeah. forward to uh, seeing you on the on the five, I think, later this week. Yeah. Oh, great. Looking forward to it, Martha, anytime. Thank you. You've been listening to The Untold Story. I'm Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free with the Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.